The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Ninth chapter. Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 37. Now it came to pass on the next day, they having come down from the mountain, 
a great multitude met him. And look, a man from the crowd cried out, saying, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he's my only son. And behold, a spirit takes hold of him, and suddenly he cries out, and it convulses him with foam at the mouth, and with difficulty it withdraws from him, bruising him. I ask your disciples that they might cast it out, but they were not able. Then Jesus, having answered, said, O generation, unbelieving, and having been depraved, how long will it be that I am to be with you? Bring your son here. And still approaching him, the demon tore him and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and returned him to his father. And they were all overwhelmed by the majesty of God. It's very clear. This is a desperate battle that we are engaged in as Christians. And when a a person makes a decision that they are going to leave behind the devil, the flesh, the world. The devil will tear them. He will rend them. He will cause them immense trouble. When a person decides to follow Jesus, things will become much worse for them. Things will become very difficult. It becomes much harder, much more painful at the beginning. And then Jesus steps in and he delivers us and he heals us and he restores us. In this story of Moses, the Lord takes us right into the heart of the story of man's condition before God. And he looks very closely at the heart. And he looks at the, ma- the demands of a doubting heart. And which of us either has not had or still has a doubting heart? Now, I've been appalled in the last week as I have spoken with men and women who call themselves Christians. I've been appalled by their lack of piety, by their lack of understanding of what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God and remain in Jesus. They've been focused on getting ahead in life with money. They've been focused on the crisis that is at hand in their life, whether it be financial or relationship. They have been focused on their own pleasures. One man I surprised him 
walking into the mall, and he was sitting in a coffee shop. He recognized me immediately, and he waved to me, and so I did go over as he was smoking his cigar. And he quickly said to me, I don't believe smoking a cigar is sin. Well, why would he say that if he did not know in his heart that what he was doing was wrong? He was very defensive about it. I said not a word. We continued our conversation, and this is a man I care deeply about, a Christian man. His whole concern is his business. I did not hear one word of concern about the kingdom of God. It was about his kingdom. I spoke with others. And then I had to speak with myself. I am appalled by my own shallowness. I'm appalled by my own lack of deep devotion. I cannot judge my devotion based on any current Christian in our age. I have to look instead at Jesus. I have to look at what he called us to and what he's now calling us to. We have all been enamored by the world. We have lived very much. Please, I hope you hear my heart. I'm speaking what is true. We have all been enamored by the world we live in, not realizing the fullness of the desperate battle that is going on right now for our souls. And we need Jesus to come and deliver us to turn our hearts toward the kingdom of God. Now in this story of Moses, today we pick up the burning bush, the Shekinah glory of God appearing on earth. The same Shekinah glory that was to be in the Holy of Holies over the mercy seat of the ark. The Shekinah glory is the burning in the, in the bush. And Moses goes to look at it to see why is it burning and not consuming. He doesn't realize yet it's just the grace of God. Our God is a consuming fire. But we think he's a tame wolf because we are so far away from him and it's been so long since he has spoken to our culture. I've listened intently, on purpose, led by the Spirit, to several men and women who call themselves prophets and prophetesses. And they're all prophesying the same thing, that, that we're going to have a little bit of difficulty right now, but then... God is going to totally restore America. And he's going to establish a time of great prosperity in the land. 
I don't believe that. I believe they're lying. I believe they're false prophets. One man, a beard with long, stringy hair, dressed in black, looks much more like a warlock than a man of God. There is no light of glory on his countenance, but he has a huge congregation, and he prophesies. And my heart was broken. Because in the midst of his prophecy, he's telling God's people things that I just can't believe. Because it does not fit with the scriptures. How can you have a prophet in our day and age come and speak to the church as though the church is just fine with not one word of rebuke, not one word of a call to repent, not one word of correction, only God is going to bless America, God is going to bless you. It doesn't fit with Scripture. Please, it's time to become very serious about who God is. He is a consuming fire. And he is calling us out of the world. I talk with Christians about turning off their television, and they look at me like I'm a man from the moon. I talk to them about turning aside from their worldly entertainment. And they think I'm crazy. They don't understand that every moment they spend in the worldly entertainment, they are stealing that time from Jesus that would prepare them for the time of the end. And we are now in the time of the end. And your time is almost over to prepare for the persecution that is coming or to prepare to enter into the kingdom of God in heaven. My heart is broken. We have had such doubting hearts, filled with our own wisdom, filled with our own foolishness, filled with our lust for a comfortable American life, That comfortable American life is about to be stripped away from America. And famine is coming. And pestilence is coming. We're already seeing the judgment, the wrath of God being poured out in California and Oregon and Washington and Nevada and other western states. We're seeing the drought. We're seeing the floods in other places. We're seeing tornadoes. We're seeing hurricanes. We're seeing earthquakes. These are all warning signs. These are birthing signs. War and the rumors of war. Russia threatening America. China threatening America with atomic warfare. I believe America will be struck with atomic warfare. We are going to have cities utterly destroyed. 
No. Isn't it time to repent? And to spend every spare moment when we are not fulfilling the responsibilities that God has given us to sit in the presence of Jesus and read the scriptures and seek after his face and be filled with his Shekinah glory. Isn't it time to finally turn away from the foolishness and the wickedness of television and the otherworldly wickedness, vanity, foolishness. Isn't it time when we speak one with another that we ask one another, what is Jesus doing in your life? What is Jesus saying to you? I ask that question so many times every day. The people I meet, I say to them, what is Jesus saying to you? And they look at me like I'm from outer space. The most precious thing in my life is what Jesus speaks to me. He speaks to me in the scriptures. He speaks to me in dreams. He speaks to me through brothers and sisters who are eager to talk about Jesus. Moses had a doubting heart. And he had demands. Let's look at it. I think we can learn something by studying carefully the book of Exodus, because the whole book of Exodus is about redemption. And can I tell you something? The book of Moses is a rehearsal run for you and me today. The plagues, they're all coming again. Oh, I hear brothers and sisters saying, Jesus is going to rapture us out of here before we have anything in the way of persecution. Tell the Chinese people that. Already this year in Nigeria, more than 3,000 Christians have been executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's more than all of last year. We're just halfway through the year. If it keeps at this pace, it'll be more than 6,000 people this year will die for Jesus Christ. Tell them they're not going to suffer persecution before the rapture. They'll scorn you. They'll say you don't know the scriptures. But we Americans, we think we're so entitled, so deserving. We discount the whole world that we're special before Jesus and he's going to take us to heaven so we don't suffer any persecution. I tell you right now, prepare for persecution. Some of you are already facing that because if you don't take the jab, you're going to lose your job. 
because they're demanding you take the jab or lose your job. Nurses are already losing their jobs. Government people are going to lose their jobs. Many in the military will have to leave the military because they will not take that jab. That's persecution. That's persecution. Don't tell me you're going to be raptured before the persecution begins. It has already begun, and thousands are dying for the cross of Jesus Christ. But you live your comfortable life in America. There's no problem here. You're on your way to heaven. Everything is fine. You're going to be raptured out before. They're lying to you. How I wish Jesus would come right now and rescue the people of Nigeria, rescue the people of of China, of Saudi Arabia, of Vietnam, of Iraq, of Afghanistan. How I wish he would come and rescue the people of America who are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. How I wish that were true. But it's not. And if I'm wrong, and you're saved, and I'm saved, we'll talk about it on the other side, and I'll ask you to please forgive me. For I lacked knowledge. What are we going to do in the end? How are we going to stand? My brother, my sister, how are we going to stand before the judge of all the earth? with our hearts lusting after the world. My heart is filled with anguish. I have been before the Lord repenting of my own foolishness, of my own shallowness, of my own lack of understanding. I urge you to do the same. I urge you to fast and pray. I urge you to seek the face of Jesus. I ask you to cry out for his mercy for you and your family. For a time of great trouble is upon us. So, Moses, he leaves Egypt under a cloud running for his life. He has tried to create a situation where he can rescue God's people. That's very admirable. He's made the decision that he will be with the Lord God of heaven rather than with his adopted mother. That he will turn away from the privileges and the pleasures of Egypt because he sees a reward in the future, but he's not ready to lead these people out of bondage. And so God comes in that Shekinah glory. The Lord tells him, take off your shoes for the ground where you're standing is holy. And then he says to Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. I'm concerned about their suffering. 
I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. He does not say, I've come to try to rescue them. No, he says, I've come to rescue them. This is not a a trial run. This is the real deal. I'm going to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Can I say something, please? Jesus is ready to come and take his people from Nigeria, from China, from places of grave pain and suffering. He's getting ready to rescue the Christians who are in America. There's some suffering we're going to have to do before he comes. And then he says to Moses, this is Exodus 3, verse 10, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I to do this? He's now 80 years old. In the last 40 years, taking care of sheep in the desert. He's become a very cautious man. He's no longer filled with himself. But he still has a doubting mind. He still is not prepared to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. God is going to have to do something in this man's heart. And it is a miracle what he does. It is awesome what he does. God begins by reassuring him. Verse 12, I will be with you, Moses. And this will be the sign that it's I who sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, the sign is, look, Moses, if you'll do what I've asked you to do, I will go with you. And the end result will be that my people will be delivered and we will celebrate here together on the mountain of God. I love that. The day is coming when I'm going to celebrate on the other side of glory. And I will say, it was Jesus. It was all Jesus. But now we see Moses' doubting heart. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? In a sense, it's a very fair question. They're going to say, Who is this God? He's already told him that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now he wants his name. 
This is the first time in Scripture that this name is revealed. We treat it very casually today, but we should not. It is a very sacred name, and it says much about who our God is. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, I can say to you today without any hesitation, Ray Greenley is what he is because of God. But Jesus is saying something to Moses that is very different. He's saying, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. If you look in the book of John, the eighth chapter, you find Jesus is saying, I am the vine, I am the bread, I am the gate. Jesus is everything. God said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Now, what does I am mean? It's the verb to be. I was in the past. I'm now present with you. I will be in the future. He's saying, I am everlasting. I have no beginning and I have no end. I am the pre-incarnate Christ. Look at Hebrews, the first chapter, Colossians, the first chapter, and the Gospel of John, the first chapter. You'll find out who Jesus is. He is God. He is the everlasting God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Master, the Savior. He is the I Am. The Jewish people were ready to stone Jesus to death because in his flesh, fully man and fully God, he said, I am who I am. They knew what he was saying. Now, these are the directions. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, that's what I am means. We call Jesus Lord. When we call Jesus Lord in the Hebrew, we are saying you are the I am God. Lord means I am Yahweh. The Lord, the God of your fathers. I've watched over you and have seen what you have done, what they have done to you in Egypt. I've promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and so on. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go 
unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders, and I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward you. And you will plunder the Egyptians. Now you ask, why are they asking only for a three-day journey into the desert that barely brings them to the edge of Egypt? Well, it's very simple. They didn't want it. God did not want to ask for the whole bit right now. He was asking for a three-day journey so that the Egyptians could not say you're asking for too much. But please, Pharaoh has proven he is an utterly cruel and ruthless Pharaoh, killing the babies, murdering the babies. He has proven that he has no moral scruples. He has proven that he is utterly wicked and self-centered and prideful in his heart. He's proven that he will not agree with their request. Moses and Aaron and the elders of Israel are risking their lives by going before Pharaoh and making this request. He would kill them in the blink of an eye if he thought he was able to get away with it. They go before him. They make the request, and it's a demand. It is literally a proclamation of war. It is the beginning of the war between Pharaoh and the God of heaven. Now, we need to understand that the war does not belong to us. The war belongs to the Lord God of heaven. He is looking for men and women who will begin to cry aloud to God that the will of God will be done on the earth, that the kingdom of God will be established. If you are a Christian today, you have been called to enroll in the battle against the powers of darkness. Ephesians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The war is not with people. The war is against the controlling spirits of the people. Now, when the war gets very personal between you and the devil, he's going to try to bring up those old habits, those old ways and he's going to tear you to bits if he can get away with it. You're going to suffer. And if you give up, and you go back to the darkness, he will rejoice over you, and then he'll try to kill you. 
Moses answers God again with the demand of a doubting heart. Do you recognize your doubting heart? Do you recognize how you doubt the word of God? And you side with the powers of darkness? If I do what you say, Pastor, and I give my time to the reading of Scripture, to prayer and to fasting and caring for the poor, the basic disciplines of the Christian faith as outlined by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, if I do that, I'm going to miss out on all the good things in life. I'm going to miss all of the comedy shows. I'm going to miss so much enjoyment. And after all, I want to enjoy this life. And I tell you, brother, can I tell you, sister, the greatest joy of this life is walking humbly in faith with Jesus Christ. I testify that out of my own life. This morning as I came into my prayer closet and I sat before the Lord, my heart was filled with praise and adoration and joy. I sang songs of praise to him. I worshipped him with loud cries. I confessed my shallowness. I confessed my doubts. I repented. I said, Lord, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to stand by faith for this radio broadcast. I'm going to stand by faith that the finances will be available to pay for this radio broadcast. I'm not going to doubt God. I'm trying to include some of you in the privilege of giving. I'm trying to include some of you in the privilege of sharing with me this gospel ministry. I don't care what it looks like. Great joy filled my heart this morning as I sat before the Lord. I praised his name. Glory, glory, glory to the Lord God of heaven, to Jesus, the Almighty, my Lord, my Savior. I love him. With a passionate love, I love Jesus. I don't love denominations. I don't love religion. I don't love the ways of man that have infiltrated the gospel. I don't love my own shallowness of heart. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Can you say the same? I have cast aside the world. I've cast aside the flesh and the cravings of the flesh. 
and I've cast aside the devil. And I've said, I'll have no part with you. Have you done that? If you haven't, will you do that today? Will you come before the Lord God of heaven and will you cry aloud to him? If you will do that, your heart will be filled with joy. You'll be torn. He'll come with every temptation in the book. He'll say, go back to that pornography. It's a drug. He'll say, go back to that television. It's a drug. He'll say, go back to that gluttony. It's a drug. He'll say, don't fast, you'll die. Did you know that's a lie? Modern medicine has proven that dieting has little effect on the body. And most diets are cast aside rather quickly. But fasting is one of the basic disciplines of the Christian faith. Jesus would not have called us to fast if he had not meant for us to do it. And fasting does not kill you. Living on water for two days, for three days, for a week, will not kill you. It will rejuvenate you. It will give you clear insight and understanding about Jesus. Now, Moses, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? Wait a minute, isn't this the Moses who hid his face in fear from the God of heaven? And now suddenly he's questioning the God of heaven? Our doubts are so evil. Our doubts are just plain wicked. And they must be confessed and dealt with. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you. But the Lord has just said, I will be with you. So now he's directly challenging the word of the Lord. He is in total unbelief. Now in his mercy... The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff. The Lord said, Throw it to the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. It's interesting, this word snake in the scripture. In Isaiah, it's translated as alligator. I don't know if it was a snake or if it was an alligator. But I'll tell you this, it was terrifying. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord called to him and said, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses came back. He reached out and he took a hold of the snake. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. Now, Let's look at this. The staff in Psalm 23 is the way God directs us. 
It's the way he disciplines us. <coughs> it's the power of God. Moses had learned how to use his staff for his sheep. And now God wants him to use the staff against Pharaoh. Turns into a snake. Snake is the symbol for the devil all through the scriptures. He is the dragon. He is the great beast of Revelation. He is incarnate evil. So now he throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. Now, Moses is terrified because he has no power over that snake. All he can do is run from it. He has no defenses. He is utterly incapable of dealing with that snake. Please hear me. You are utterly incapable of dealing with the devil. He will sweep you away time after time, and he will consume you. He will consume you. But when the Lord says, take that snake by the tail, it turns back into a staff in his hand. Now the wise men of Egypt, the magicians, the astrologers, they come and they cast their staffs down. And Moses' snake consumes them. I want you to see this is not a quick operation. This took quite a bit of time. And as they consume the other rods, they are saying, the power of God is greater than the demons of Egypt. Now, we're going to look later at the plagues as they were sent upon Egypt. Every plague was a direct rebuke to the gods of Egypt that were worshipped. So now, he picks it up. It's a staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, that he has appeared to you. In other words, they're going to need to see a demonstration of the God of heaven's power. That's why we need signs and wonders to follow the preaching of the gospel in America. You know, I was, I was thinking about this. What would God have to do to reach America? America is an utterly wicked nation. We have loved the things of darkness. Every perverse thing has risen up in our nation. A geyser of filth has erupted over us. Pedophilia is becoming acceptable in many quarters. Perversion. A destruction of the gender of the human heart. Every lust of the human heart has made its way into the American mainstream 
culture, just as it was in Egypt. How would God have to move to reach America? Do you suppose that God could have reached Egypt by saying to Pharaoh, I'm going to give you a time of great prosperity. I'm going to bless your nation. Would he have repented? Of course not. Would he have turned to the God of heaven? Of course not. He would have grabbed and growled and run. He would have hardened his heart. So do you suppose that God could bring repentance into America by restoring America? By giving America a time of great wealth and prosperity? Do you suppose that America would repent then? No. No. To get Egypt's attention, he had to bring persecution. He had to bring plagues, pestilence. He had to bring darkness upon the land. He had to bring the destruction of their crops, the hail and the fire, storms. He had to bring boils and misery, lice, frogs. I don't think God can deal with America any differently than he dealt with Egypt. For God is preparing to take a people out of America into the promised land of Cana. He is preparing to take us into the heavens above. He is going to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. He is going to give us the greatest desires of our heart, himself. Is Jesus the greatest desire of your heart? Or is the world the greatest desire of your heart? Is wealth the greatest desire of your heart? A man who is constantly lusting after wealth, I said to him, Do you go to church? He says he's a Christian. I said, do you go to church? He said, oh, yes, I go to church in my heart. What foolishness. What utter foolishness. His whole heart is set on earning great amounts of money so that he can spend the last years of his life in his pleasure, buying his big yacht, buying his big house, having the lust of his heart fulfilled, It's not going to happen. The judgment of God will come upon this man because he calls himself a Christian. But he lusts after the world and the flesh and the devil. How is it in your heart today? What is it that you truly want? Please be honest. What is it you want? 
Are you on your way to heaven? Or are you on your way to hell? Well, tomorrow we're going to continue this story of Moses. And that will end our week. We plan on Friday being a day of prayer. But next week I'll continue this series on the life of Moses because it is a dress rehearsal for you and for me. And we need to learn the lessons of Moses. Well, today we are still $1,644 short of our goal to be able to pay for July radio. In the last 24 hours, $48.25 has been donated. I'm not I'm not walking in unbelief. I'm just inviting you to share with me in the glory of giving for the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. And so I come asking, will you help? Is the Lord Jesus moving in your heart? I'm Ray Greenley. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I love you, my brother, my sister. I want the very best for you. I pray today you will make a decision about what you're going to do with your doubting heart and the demands of your doubting heart. I'll talk to you then. Joy.